Good evening. Please have your Bible ready in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The second Corinthian letter might be called a follow-up from the first Corinthian letter. There is some evidence that what Paul wrote in the first epistle that was remedial with the tone of rebuke had some good effect. But there's something else that takes up a good portion of the second epistle to the Corinthians. Paul and his work was under attack. And while Paul was reluctant to do so because it involved talking about himself, because his message was of divine origin and his work was God's work, he had to defend himself and his work against false charges being circulated by false teachers. But there is still some remedial work and some basic simple instruction for Christians then and for Christians today in 2 Corinthians. Look with me now at the first verse of 2 Corinthians 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We're going to take that up during our time together this evening. And when you first see this kind of language, when you see a phrase like this, since we have these promises, in your Bible reading and study, that's a signal. It is a signal to look back into the context and see what those promises are. And that takes us back into the last part of chapter 6. So let me take you now into 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18, and we're into context here. We're looking for what Paul means when he says, since we have these promises. So I'm back in chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God. So this is written starting back in chapter 6, verse 14, as a warning. And it's a warning about partnership or fellowship that is in conflict with our relationship with God through Christ. There are relationships and partnerships 
There are associations or contact with certain kinds of people detrimental to our relationship with Christ. And that must always be a concern we have, something we watch for as Christians. Because we don't want anything, anybody, or any place, any association to hinder us in our obedience to Christ. And that's the warning that is conveyed in 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 18. I cannot attempt to bring together what is unholy with the holy. I cannot have fellowship with the works of darkness. And that's the essence of this warning. That's the warning being given here in 6, 14 to 18 by Paul to the Corinthians and by application to us. Now, warnings often come with motivation. Why should I give heed to the warning? Why should I be watchful about this? Warnings in the Bible often are attached to motivation. So Paul quotes from the Old Testament about God calling his people out of these compromising relationships, saying, go out of those partnerships, get away from those things that are detrimental to your relationship with me. And then God says, verse 18, I will be a father to you. So now we know what the promises are referred to in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Those are the promises having to do with being in the family of God, having God as our Father, being His people, and being separate from evil compromising relationships. Now, let's do this to help get this all connected. I'm going to start back again at verse 14 in chapter 6, and I'm going to read without stopping into 7-1. And by the way, in some Bibles, 7-1 appears on the page as attached to the previous context. So it ought to be read together. So let's do that. Back at 14 in chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among you and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, since we have these promises, beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, this is one of those cases where the chapter separation is unfortunate since there is a line of thought that starts in 614 and just continues to flow without interruption into the conclusion that is in chapter 7 verse 1. So since we have the promise of having God as our Father through Jesus Christ, 
being his sons and daughters, what should we do? Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Now, here's what a preacher would do with that. And I guess I am one. Three points. Assurance, imperative, and completion. So let me go through that, and then I'm going to factor in some other things that are in the context. The assurance is being sons and daughters of God. Having that relationship through Christ with God the Father. And that's possible, of course, because Christ died for us to be able to be free of guilt and enter into God's family, sometimes called the kingdom, sometimes the church, the body. When we obeyed the gospel, we received what Jesus died for sinners to have. For Christians, there is the assurance of being in God's family, being his sons and daughters, but attached to that assurance, there is this imperative. Keep yourselves clean. The imperative is to stay in God's family with standing with him as a family member. You have to keep yourself clean. If you have the NIV, it says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, referred to back in chapter 6, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So based on the assurance, the promise of having God as our Father, we commit ourselves to the imperative, which is to remain pure, to keep ourselves clean and separate from anything that contaminates or defiles us. Whether an inner attitude or an outward bodily sin, to keep ourselves in God's family, to continue to enjoy the assurance of being sons and daughters of God, let us cleanse ourselves. There is an expression you may have heard, but it needs careful biblical definition. Continual cleansing. Not in every way that people might use that phrase, but in this specific passage, you could say continual cleansing. But it's not something imposed on us or something predestined or automatic. No, it is something we do. With mind and body, we keep ourselves pure to have the assurance or promise of being blessed in God's family. So the verse organizes itself. Assurance, being sons and daughters of God, the imperative that that assurance is attached to, keeping ourselves clean, and then it says, bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Again, very careful biblical definition should be given to completion. 
The completion part of this doesn't mean you reach some point in time here on earth when you're done. I shouldn't think that after I obey the gospel I can work really hard and I can get to a place where I can say I'm done. No, the completion part of this is a lifelong work. It's an ongoing process to which I made reference from the Bible this morning about growth. Concerning this, turn with me over to Philippians 3 and listen to something Paul wrote in Philippians 3. We consider Paul to be a good man, faithful. He applied the word. He taught the word to his own life. He never was thinking of quitting. He said this, Philippians 3, 7 down to 16. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, keep going. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Underscore three words in the text here. I press on. Paul says all through this paragraph, I'm not finished. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. Now that helps us over in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. To know that this business of bringing holiness to completion is not arriving at some point in time where you're done. We are never done. We cannot quit. We press on, working day after day to cleanse ourselves, to remain pure, to grow, resist temptations and defilements. There is assurance that is attached to an imperative, and we ought to view this as continually bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now, I want to talk about the last part of that. 
And the last part of this is really about something that we use this term to describe, reverence. And here's the phrase, in the fear of God. This is something Christians must understand. And that understanding we ought to carry with us into every day. Let's talk about the fear of God. The fear of God isn't just raw, uninformed fear. There are times in life when we are filled with raw, uninformed fear. We are pretty certain something bad is going to happen, but we don't have specific information. Sometimes it's reasonable, sometimes unreasonable. I would call it raw, uninformed fear. Paul and I were with a hundred Christians at an event at Lake Tahoe in Nevada last week, Monday through Saturday morning. And when we checked into the lodge with all these other Christians on Monday night, we heard a commotion outside from our room. We could hear something was going on. And of course, we didn't think of a wild party. We were there with a hundred Christians attending that event. Come to find out when I went out in the lobby of the lodge, there was a bear who came to the door of the lodge out of the mountains. Well, that explained all the excitement. That was raw, uninformed fear. The lodge manager calmed us down and told us those bears are not after people. They're after food, and they know where people are, there will be food. Well, that didn't help us just a whole lot. But that first response was raw, uninformed fear. You, you think something bad's going to happen, but you're not very specific about it. Now, here's my point. The fear of God is not like that. The fear of God is informed by everything His Word says about Him, His promises, the imperatives that we ought to respond to, and the completion process that involves spiritual growth. The fear of God is informed by everything we know about Him, His greatness, His power, His warnings for our benefit, the certainty of judgment, His love and grace and mercy, the access we have to Him through Christ when we sin. Knowing all of that, being informed of who God is, you get to reverence, motive, and also a healthy dread of displeasing Him. In this context, the fear of God compels us to appreciate His promise to be our Father and to cleanse ourselves from all defilement and to continue that until we die. Making that cleansing our life's purpose from baptism until death. Would you listen, please? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement 
has the temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. When you get home tonight, read this again. Start back at chapter 6, verse 14, and read down through chapter 7, verse 1. And then you examine yourself, and I'll examine myself, and let's think about this as we go into the week, and let's continue to cleanse ourselves from all defilement through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's be standing as we sing. This I know.